Good morning. Good morning and uh, welcome. We're glad we can be together to uh, worship this day on a, on a very beautiful day here in, uh, in South Florida. I'm Pastor Rafe Vigil and we're sharing together here at uh, New Horizon and we're glad we can join together in worship and prayer and song and, and give our praise to God. So let us uh, join our hearts together in song as we praise our God. bow your heads with me and join us for this morning's prayer. Wondrous and generous God, your gifts are overwhelming. Your sun lights the way for our journey and your stars puncture our darkness. Your living water quenches our thirst and your broken bread opens the door to eternal life. Your healing touch binds up our wounds and your forgiveness washes clean our sin. Wondrous and generous God, from the four corners of the earth, a chorus of praise erupts. 
The ocean roars and the trees shout their joy from the deepest depths of our being. Our prayer searches to find words of adoration. You are patient and kind even as we wander, lured by the trivial and distracted by the quick solution. For you are full of compassion and truth, even as we stumble in our relationships and hesitate just prior to the doors of justice. Wondrous and generous God, come now. Bring comfort to those who agonize over broken relationships, who mourn the depth of death of what used to be. Touch those whose bodies need healing. Liberate those whose addictions hinder their full potential. Surprise those whose days are filled with sameness and whose joy has ceased. Wondrous and generous God, come now. Make this church a place where seeds grow, where joy is shared, where songs are sung and peace is shaped, dreams are born, sorrow is comforted, and ripples of love spread forward. We pray all of this as Jesus taught us to. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Thank you. You may be seated. Every summer, we take the opportunity to kind of pool our little bit of resources together. And this is my favorite um, thing. I feel like I get to participate in 10 different ministries. And for me, that's a really cool feeling that we all work together. So today's highlighted ministry in our 10 for 10 is the Heifer Project. If you've never heard of the Heifer Project or if you've never thought you could make a difference, the Heifer Project started with one farmer and one cow. And now it's an international organization that helps not only to feed people, but how to teach people to use the animals and to raise the animals for food and to make money. So we have a little one minute video for you to watch. The end of hunger and poverty starts here. Your gift of an animal from Heifer International can help a family start a small business creating food and income for education, medicine, and more, all while caring for the earth. At Heifer International, we help small-scale farmers achieve living incomes through economic development and private sector partnerships. We empower communities by creating women's groups, farmers associations, and cooperatives that strengthen social support networks. And we teach sustainable, earth-friendly agriculture that minimizes environmental impact and reduces the carbon footprint around the world and right here at home. Heifer International. Learn more at heifer.org. The end. Thank you. I remember how excited my kids were when they would come home from Sunday school and say, we got to buy chicks. <laughs> and I didn't have to raise them, so thank you, Lloyd. Um, if you can donate to Heifer, please feel free to um, write your check to the church and just write in the in the memo section, Heifer. Thank you. And of course, Pastor Rafe always adds, you can always do that online too, just put the memo, Heifer. Um, want to uh, take a, a moment here to uh, to pause for a another outreach mission opportunity and even probably more so a prayer opportunity um, that we need to uh, step up on and that is in response to uh, what has happened this past week at Surfside down in our brothers and sisters in the Miami Beach area um, I'm sure I don't have to repeat what's on the news because you all have have seen the news and, uh, and know about that story, but know that uh, New Horizon is responding. The United Methodist Church is responding through our uh, response efforts, and uh, there are many different ways and many ways that you can help and respond. Uh, right now, we're taking a, a gift cards, and we've got a basket for places that to be dropped off, or you can do uh, donations uh, through the church. Again, you know, you can do your money donations or your gift cards that you've bought. Information for that, of course, is available here at the church office, Facebook, um, church website, all that kind of stuff, just, or just call in. Um, but we are responding in a, uh, in a significant way to uh, support all of those families that have been affected, to support our first responders who are there on site and doing that work, to respond to the community around them and all of those who are now experiencing uh, insecurities and, uh, and alienation. Uh, through this process, and uh, so uh, please offer up your prayers. And in that light, I'd like for us to uh, to pause right now and to uh, have a moment of, of prayer for uh, that community and for the responses that are happening for all those that are working on this. Uh, let's uh, bow our hearts together. 
Oh Lord, you are a good and loving God, and we know that we live in a broken world because we are a, a broken people, a sinful people. But Lord, sometimes the brokenness is just very real. When buildings break and concrete collapses and lives are lost. Lord, the hurt is all around us. And so Lord, on this day we say a special prayer for those who are grieving. And may your comfort surround them. We say a prayer for those who are filled with the anxiety of waiting, waiting for news and information and, and waiting for a loved one that may never return. Lord, we pray for those who are, who are injured and those who are sick. Lord, we... Uh, surround with a community of prayer those who are feeling a bit lost, displaced at this time. Lord, we uh, lift up in prayer all those who are moving toward this tragedy to bring a healing, to bring a hope. We, we pray for strength and encouragement for those responders and, and community leaders that are trying to bring hope and, and healing in the midst of a horrible situation. And Lord, we, uh, we pray for, for one another as a community as we respond, as we respond in ways that would support families that are displaced, that would support first responders as they work so diligently and so hard, that we support one another in in real, physical, tangible ways and in deep, spiritual, profound ways of prayer. Let there be a, a sense of community, Lord, and, and coming together. Even in the midst of a time when we are, we've been living in socially distanced, Lord, let us come together with, with power and with strength and with tears and with empathy that your love may touch those who find themselves in a crisis place. Lord, we pray for a, a blanket of your holy touch over the community. We pray for the uh, hope of the fresh wind of your breath that brings a spirit of life in the midst of tragedy. And Lord, may we feel the holy touch, the holy touch that gives life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. This uh, scripture that we share in today from the Gospel of Mark is certainly a scripture that, uh, that talks about the, uh, the holy touch, the power of Jesus to uh, touch and transform lives just from... Um, these wonderful encounters that he has. So Mark records uh, this story like uh, this. Jesus crossed the lake again, and on the other side, a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. 
Darius, one of the synagogue leaders, came forward. When he saw Jesus, he fell at Jesus' feet. And he pleaded with him. He pleaded with Jesus. My daughter is about to die. Please, please, please come and place your hands on her so that she can be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A swarm of people were, were following Jesus, crowding in on him. A woman was there who had been bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a lot under the care of many doctors and had spent everything she had without getting any better. In fact, she had gotten worse. Because she had heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and just touched his clothes. She was thinking, if I can just, if I can just touch him, touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Her bleeding stopped immediately, and she sensed in, in her body that her illness had been healed. At that very moment, at that very moment, Jesus recognized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, Who? Who, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, Don't you see the crowd pressing against you? Yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus looked around carefully to see who had done it. The woman, full of fear and trembling, came forward. Knowing what had happened to her, she fell down in front of Jesus and told him the whole truth. And he responded, daughter, daughter, your, your faith has healed you. Go in peace, healed from your disease. While Jesus was still speaking, speaking with her, uh, uh, messengers came from the synagogue leader's house saying to uh, Jairus, your daughter has died. Why bother the teacher any longer? But Jesus overheard their report and said to the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, just keep trusting. He didn't allow anyone to follow him except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. They came to the synagogue leader's house, and he saw the commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, what's all this commotion and crying about? The child isn't dead. She's only sleeping. They laughed at him. They laughed at him, but he threw them all out, then taking the child's parents and his disciples with him, he, he went into the room where the child was. Taking her hand, he said to her, Talitha, koum, which means young woman, get up. Suddenly the young woman got up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old and they were shocked. He, he gave them strict orders. Strict orders that no one should know what had happened. 
Then he told them to give her something to eat. Amen. Amen. Most gracious God, may we encounter you today. Amen. Amen. So there's this um, ancient historic practice and tradition in the church. And maybe if you've been around for quite a while, you might even remember this ancient historic practice in the church that was practiced so long ago. It was called the passing of the peace. And the passing of the peace was this greeting that, uh, that Christians did. And it was just that. It was a blessing. It was a passing of the peace. You'd go up to somebody and you'd say, the peace be with you. And the response was, and also with you. And that's how you would greet one another. It was this wonderful greeting. It was a way of recognizing folks as, as believers and community together and, and drawing the community together. And so the passing of the peace became this, this wonderful practice. So much so that we incorporated it into worship services. And it became part of worship, that in worship, as a response to God's word, after the, the reading of the scripture and after the sharing of a message, the response to God's word would be a, a prayer and then in acts of of connection and commitment and forgiveness, you'd greet one another with peace be with you and also with you. And, and there was this great response and this sense of community. Well, you know what happens in a church. It became time for everybody like, oh, I haven't seen so-and-so in a while. And they go running across the room and people, and you'd spend 20 minutes and you couldn't get everybody back together again because no longer was the passing of the peace. It was the social 15 minutes in the middle of the worship service. But here's the thing, because we need that community. We need that community. We, we need that touch. We, we crave it. I mean, have you sensed this craving in your own heart for the need for human touch, the need for community, the need to connect with people, to, to talk face-to-face? -face? I mean, we've entered a time when we're even are second-guessing ourselves when someone extends a hand to shake it, right? Do we, do, do, do we fist bump? Do we elbow bump? Do we shake a hand? Are you allowed to hug? And, you know, and here's South Florida. How long have people been going since the little, you know, kiss on the cheek, you know, to your, to your friends and family, uh, particularly in the, uh, in, the, in the Latin culture? I mean, you know, what's allowed? What's not allowed? We're second-guessing. We're, we're thinking it through. Can, can I take off my mask? Can I actually see somebody's face and recognize them again? Where's that, that sense of community, that shaking hands, that, that hugging, that, that touching? Um, we, we need that in some way. We're, we're looking for that. We, we need physical encounters. Is, do you find yourself craving that? Do you find yourself craving that physical encounter? We crave it. We need it. In fact, it's absolutely necessary for us. Neuroscience has studied this. They did a study on, on hand-holding. They did a study on hand-holding, and uh, they found out that hand-holding reduces stress. Yes, it, re it reduces stress. What they would do is they would induce stress, yes, create stress on the, the brain in some way, and they'd have these brain scans all set up, and they'd induce stress, and um, then you'd hold somebody's hand and see what happened. And even holding the hand of a stranger 
reduce the level of stress. The brain would look different. But if you held the hand of a spouse, the effect of the reduction of the stress on the brain was even greater. And then, of course, they even did tests on marital relationships. And if your marital relationship scored the highest on the uh, happiness scores, when you held that hand during induced stress, you saw the largest reduction of stress. Holding hands that encounter that touch, holding hands has a calming effect on the brain. Who knew that the Beatles decades ago were singing about a holy movement? I want to hold your hand. I want to hold your hand. And if you're sitting with someone who might reduce your stress, you can go ahead and hold their hand. You know, whether you're worshiping with us digitally or here. Holding hands has a calming effect on us. In fact, They've done the same kind of studies with newborns and with infants. And newborns and infants who aren't held, who aren't touched, who aren't cradled, they not only don't develop language skills and social skills, without the human touch, without the physical encounter, they will actually die and not live past infancy. Because we are designed, we are built, we are made by our Creator for the human touch, for the touch encounters that are absolutely necessary to bring life and to bring hope. And that's what happens in these stories that are recorded together that we hear from the Gospel of Mark today. It's a story of encounters with Jesus, encounters with Jesus that bring absolute life. As Jesus walks into this town, he is met by Jairus. Jairus is a... Uh, a high synagogue official. In other words, he's an important dude in town. He's an important guy. People are paying attention to him. And so if a rabbi is coming into town like Jesus, who's got a crowd of followers, making an appointment to get an audience with Jairus is way up there on the list of the itinerary for while you're there. A Jairus visit would be absolutely essential. But it's not Jesus who's going to visit Jairus. It's Jairus who's coming running to Jesus. In fact, Mark tells us that this high official, this person who is the, the, one of the lead guys in town, not only runs to Jesus, but falls at Jesus' feet with this desperate plea for his family, for his child. To fall at Jesus' feet and to beg is an action beyond the extraordinary. It is an action that shows a submissive prostrating himself in front of Jesus, becoming submissive, subservient, and laying himself before Jesus. In fact, Jesus was the one of honor. Jairus is demonstrating to all the crowd that Jesus was without equal in the town and so now the holy frenzy begins and the crowd presses in jarius has given more authority to jesus jarius is bowing down to jesus jarius is 
fallen at Jesus' feet. So now it's make way for the rabbi, make way for Jesus, pushing through the crowds as this whole ordeal and bedlam and maybe even close to a riot is breaking out. In the midst of all this crowd, there is a woman. A woman who is already not supposed to, just because she's a woman, not talk to a rabbi, not press against people in a crowd. And so she already doesn't deserve, just by her gender in that culture at that time, doesn't deserve an audience or a place with Jesus. But not only is she a woman, she is a woman who has this issue going on with her blood. And the blood that pours out of her, that spills out of her, makes her unclean. More than likely, it's something that's wrong with her, her feminine cycle, and it constantly flows and keeps her unclean. And women who, in the normal routine, would would be unclean for that period of time and then have to go into a, a special bathing place called the mikvah. And the mikvah would wash them clean and, and spiritually and in a religious kind of way so they could re-enter the community after each time in their cycle. But for this woman, there's not even a mikvah cleansing. This woman is the very poster child for alienation and alone. She doesn't belong, she's not welcome, she's alienated by the culture, and she lives her life alone. And so you have alienation alone, and the leader in the community, and they both find themselves on their knees in front of Jesus. They both find themselves on their knees in front of Jesus, pleading for help pleading for hope. The woman is just, if I can just touch him, if I can just touch him, if I can just have this little encounter, this just barely fringe of the garment encounter. I have a picture that sits, that I hang in my office that was given to me um, in, in Magda, uh, Magdala, where, um, along the Sea of Galilee. And it's a picture of nothing but feet and long cloaks and one feminine hand reaching out to touch, to barely touch where there is a spark of light that touches at the bottom of the cloak. The encounter, it's called. The encounter, and the encounter is nothing but a bare flick from the knees, from the ground, from the, from the pleading for help. And her life is completely different. Who touched my clothes, Jesus says. Who who touched my clothes? And the encounter brings healing. But Jesus also goes with the synagogue leader, the town leader, and he takes a young girl by the hand and he holds her hand. And there's an encounter for a desperate father to find hope. There's an encounter for a girl who is, who, who is dead and has lost life. To, to find life again. Everybody Jesus touches in the story has an encounter. We know that Peter and James and John, who were merely witnesses, have another encounter because their lives are never the same after their encounter with Jesus. The encounters make a difference. The encounter that Jairus and his daughter have change their lives, the encounter that the woman has from just a little touch and Jesus' kind words changes her life. 
The touch changes life. Holding hands gives life. An encounter with Jesus gives life, and it gives powerful life. The power of a hand-holding touched my life one time with an encounter with Jesus. It's when I met a, I guess she was a 9 or 10-year-old girl named, named Esther. We were on a medical mission trip in Honduras, and we were on this small little island, and we were working in a medical clinic. And um, the doctors and nurses were doing all the medical stuff, and, you know, Pastor Rafe has absolutely no medical training. And uh, so I became the, you know, the, the front of the room guy. I became, you know, the, the one that just met people coming in and talking. And, uh, and Esther was kind of brought there by a couple other kids and friends and just kind of left. And I found out that uh, from the other kids, it says, yeah, um, her, her aunt, I think, told her to come on down here because she has pain in her mouth. And she was told to come see the American doctor. And so I sat with her and talked with her for a while. We had a dentist with us. She saw the dentist. And not only did she have pain in her mouth, she had a severe infection with her new adult teeth that were coming in, an infection that not only needed to be healed so she could eat and that sort of thing, but an infection that could also impact her brain and impact her life if it wasn't taken care of. And so it was a very serious kind of thing, but could be handled fairly simply if it was handled now. But Esther was there by herself, and she was scared with this information and just a couple other kids around. And so we shared with the kids that someone needs to come back with, with Esther, one of the adults. And uh, so the next day she came back and there was a, a, a mom with her who seemed in a real hurry to get out of there and not wanting to, to be there. And um, Esther was very anxious about the procedure. She, and anxious is a light word. She was scared to death. And it just took too long to get her to a place where she could come, you know, settle herself down. And so the mother got upset and they got up and they left with Esther without having the treatment. It was communicated through the word of mouth and the chains of people on this small little island that Esther's situation was very serious and she needed to come back for a treatment. And she came back and this time with, a, with an aunt, but the aunt was barely a young adult herself and herself very scared to to watch the treatment and so i asked esther after we had spent two or three days now talking every time she came if it would be okay if i sat with her and held her hand and her eyes got big and she shouted yes and she was scared to death sitting in that chair for that dentist to to do the work that he did but he did, and I held her hand all the way through that. And Esther and I had this wonderful moment of a relationship, and we, I prayed for her. And a day or two later, the dentist said he wanted to check up on her, but there was no way that we could get her back in. And we found out why when we went to hunt her down and to find her. You see, Esther lived in a part of the island is where the alienated folks live, those not only in extreme poverty, but those who have no way to live except if they live literally in the garbage. It's an island. No infrastructure. No plumbing. Everything runs downhill. And there's a small community of folks that live in one-room shacks on stilts over the slush of a little bay that comes in, a little watery area from the ocean, 
and all of the trash and the sewage that comes from the homes of the islands. They literally lived over the sewage. The term they used for the people that lived there essentially meant like these are the people that you don't want to touch. And I had spent a couple of days holding Esther's hand. Esther was excited to see us and came and gave the doctor and and I a hug. It just so happened that about nine months later, I was invited back to the island, not for a good thing. It was more mission work, a hurricane recovery, and I was in respite for pastors and others who needed to get a break in the recovery work. And um, while I was there, I went looking for Esther. And I found her, and she remembered me, and she came and she greeted me with a big hug. And in that hug, in those hugs from Esther, I felt, I felt, a holy encounter with Jesus Christ. A holy power in Jesus Christ that, that moved me to tears. Esther grabbed me by the hand and, and held my hand and, and showed me her house and showed me her home and showed me where she played. She was so happy and so proud and much more comfortable now that her mouth had healed up. She was eating and gaining weight. It was beautiful. Esther touched me with the holiness of God. The power of Jesus Christ that gives life, that gives purpose, that gives hope. I encountered Jesus with the holding of a little girl's hand. How desperate are you for an encounter with Jesus? What's driving you to your knees to fall at the feet of Jesus and and plead out for help? How desperate are you for an encounter? Perhaps maybe you feel like an outcast and alienated like the woman who was not welcome. Or maybe you feel a little lost and disoriented like Jairus, the father. Or maybe you feel... uh, a bit of death in your life, like a daughter who is laying there on a deathbed. Do you need an encounter with Jesus? We encounter Jesus when we encounter others. In the, in the holding of a hand, in the sharing of the word, we, we crave the physical contact. We, we crave the, the community that comes. We, we need the touch. We need the hand-holding. We need an encounter with the holy that comes through people. And yes, you can encounter the holy. It can happen in a personal, private, meditative moment to meet Jesus. But there is a power in the touch. There is a power in the encounter with Jesus. Are you needing an encounter with Jesus? Let us come to our knees before the holy. Amen and amen. Lord, each and every one of us needs you. We need an encounter with you. Sometimes we feel the panic and stress in our lives like Jarius did.
Sometimes we feel the, the fear, like Esther did. Sometimes our lives feel like there's just death upon death upon death. When we hear the bad news and the sad news that keeps playing over the media and we, we feel like that young girl that laid on her deathbed. And sometimes we feel lost and alone and we just crave the, the smallest glimmer of hope in a holy encounter like the woman. Lord, we pray that you would meet us exactly where we are in our moments of need with an encounter. Lord, show us the ways in which we can encounter you through one another, even in the midst of the anxiety of COVID and social distancing and who's got a vaccine and who doesn't, even in the midst of all of the confusing news and information that we get. Lord, help us to experience you in one another in the lightest of touches in the holding of hands in the encounters with loved ones and with others that we so crave Lord let us sense a touch of your holy in the midst of that Amen Let us respond to God in song. How many of you know that the Lord always make a way for you? When it seems like there's no way, God always make a way. He always come through. Matter of fact, God always have our backs. Is that amen? Amen.
testament to uh, God's holy touch in your life, uh, also through your giving, which you can uh, do online. And if you're here, there are baskets um, as you're coming and going. Also respond to God's love and God's touch in your life with prayer. Contact in some way that touches a life, and maybe it'll even be holy for you in that connection. Go now with the blessing and the assurance of the love of God. Go now with the sense that not only do you come looking for Jesus, but Jesus comes looking for you. Not